Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. It's December. Uh... The voice you're currently listening to is uh, TJ Patrick, joined as always by, and I got a few of them this time, by the scuttle to my Sebastian, uh, uh, by the uh, Phoebus to my Quasimodo, and the, oh no, what's the third one? The Lumiere to my Cogsworth, it is... Trevor Catalano. I'm fine with all those. I don't know why you thought I wouldn't be. Yay! <laughs> well, because here's the thing. Like, I have, a, I, have a, I have a bone to pick. And I feel like there's a lot of guys in high school who have this mm. bone to pick. Where your body mm. type, everyone looks at you and goes, oh, we should do Beauty and the Beast next year. And you'd be a great Cogsworth. And I'm like, I have the talent. And the, I have the talent to be Lumiere, ma'am. And you just want me to be Cogsworth. I mean, looking back, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be a fucking great Cogsworth, and I probably will someday, but... Yeah, you would. Um, Not the point. I would... I think acting-wise, I would love to see you be stressed. That's Cogsworth. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, in case you haven't noticed, people listening at home, we have a uh, new voice around here that we haven't heard in quite some time. Uh, Hi. Yes. Uh, gracing us with her presence once again, her majesty, her 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 elegance, the queen of everything <laughs> that ever is and will be, Miss Catherine Clark Patterson. Hi, y'all. I'm back. <laughs> She's back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back and I'm fired up. Yeah. Because today... We are talking about... It's one of TJ's notoriously bad ideas. Um, Look, it's a great (laughs) idea. It's one of those ideas where you're like, we're going to do all these things, and we're going to stitch them all together. You have two days. (laughs) Which is not true. Okay, no. It only has... It's a... Yeah. (laughs) But... (laughs) So, obviously, being 90s babies, we grew up with Disney being the most Disney it ever Disneyed, because... This Disney now, uh, God, reminds me of that John Mulaney bit. Like, I don't know about this new Bill Clinton. That's not the real Bill Clinton. Like, that's how I feel about Disney. It's just like, this new Disney's kind of weird and self-conscious and doesn't quite know what it wants to do with its life. The Disney we had in the 90s was like, yeah, that's yeah, that's Disney. And now Disney's just trying to be like, what did we do in the 90s? Let's. Can we? How do we get back there? How do we get back to the past? No, no, back to the future. Uh, that's two John Mulaney references. So today we will be talking about the Disney Renaissance. And if you're unfamiliar, that is the period from The Little Mermaid, 1989, to uh, Tarzan, 1999. So today we are going to rapid fire go through all 10 of these landmark movies, these iconic movies, some of them for great reasons and some of them for fucking awful reasons. And we are going to talk about them 
we're going to give our personal experiences with them, and then at the end, we are going to pit them against each other and we will rank them. Because I am still the bloodthirsty fuck I was when I created the the Disney Music Madness Tournament. None of that has gone away. <laughs> so, obviously, we have to start with The Little Mermaid. And unlike, I think, uh, Trevor did chronological for a while, and Kat kind of bounced around. But I did chronological all the way through. Well, it's like, it's which it's different It's different when you, like, when they have several years between them, like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. But then, like, you get the one coming out every year, and I'm kind of like, eh, they might as well have come out all at the same time, you know? Fair, because, like, you know, Pocahontas and Hunchback, pretty infamously, were, like, right next to each other, working yeah. more or less at the same time. Yeah. It's like now um, Marvel movies now. Yeah. <laughs> they made the blueprint. No, wow. <laughs> oh, I'll, I have um, a thing about that too. I'll get to it. Go on. Um. Uh-oh. So obviously I started with Little Mermaid and fun fact, out of these 10 movies, there was one movie I wanted to watch the least and I had to start with it. <laughs> so- Wait, are you going to clarify that we are going to take one that is not technically Walt Disney Animation Studios and put it in there? Uh, it's just it, like because it's de- technically not described in the same way as the others and we're cutting one that is... Yeah, like, okay, let's address this right now at the front. Yeah, thanks, Trev. Uh, We, like, the fucking... No, Rescuers Down Under does not get to be part of the fucking Disney renaissance. Get the fuck out of here. I'm sorry, it's the weird odd duck. Every time I look at these lists or these, like, groups of the posters, and then they have the fucking Rescuers Down Under, and I'm like, I was Mr. Disney. Just like most kids my age, we were all about Disney. I never once watched Rescuers Down Under because I barely knew it was a thing that existed. Unlike the movie we replaced it with, rightfully, and the movie that I just... This is my canon now. It should be recognized as being part of the Disney Renaissance, in my opinion, even though it's for whatever reason, it's, like, not 100% in the same category. A goofy movie. It's, like, it's definitely, when you look at, but when you look at it, it's, like, oh, this definitely has, like, a lower budget, and, like, they definitely separated at this yeah, time, like, the Mickey universe yeah. of tunes and their other movies. Right. And that's all valid and fine, but it's, like, if you're talking about 90s Disney movies, there is one most 90s Disney movie of all the 90s Disney movies, and I'm just like, the fact that it's not in this conversation is weird to me, and the fact that Rescuers Down Under is, is a fucking crime. Even if the movie is good, like, I want to point that out, too. Even if you love Rescuers Down Under, okay, fine, but I just don't want to I don't want to put it next to Aladdin. Right? That's just weird to me. <laughs> That's some weird seating at the gala. You're going to get some conflict there. Oof. Which is why you do it. They're not going to give as much money because they're competing with one another. <laughs> <laughs> is, my, is, my, is my nonprofit background showing? Um. <laughs> so, yes. That means I had to start with A Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid. Sorry. Like, so here's the thing. I actually don't have a lot of notes on most of these. I'm really just going to be an agent of chaos. 
um, <laughs> as we do whenever we do these group things. I really only have notes on The Little Mermaid. That tracks. I went into this movie going, okay, I know I have a lot of thoughts. I need to organize them. <laughs> Did you give it a fair chance, Tej? Uh, I gave it a fair chance a year ago um, because I think I was trying to do something similar to this where I was going through, I think, Disney movies in general and kind of um, giving all of them fresh rewatches, watching like the old ones and like the ancient ones. Oh, I think I was doing a Disney princess thing. I was going to go through all the Disney princess movies. So eventually that led me to Little Mermaid and I watched it like fresh as an adult, largely un- like objectively for the first time. And I had many, 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 many thoughts about it. And now I've had a year to cool down and I watched it again and I have less thoughts, but now more focused thoughts about how... Look, this movie's just muddy. I Is it because of the mixture of the soil and the water from the sea? <laughs> That's too good. <laughs> no, but like, I mean, it's because, like, I get what the film wants to do. I just, I feel like the film doesn't realize it's kind of saying some things while definitely doing other things that muddy this up because the long-standing stereotypical like viewpoint of the little mermaid from like clickbait article writers on like fucking the internet and dude bros who want to just write off this you know disney princess movie largely for girls fine but why can't girls have a disney movie like fuck off so the large overcarrying thing about The Little Mermaid is that, like, Ariel's a brat. She gives away her voice to a sea witch for a stupid reason just to get laid, basically, and learns no lesson by the end. And so she's a terrible Disney princess. You you, you act as though getting laid is something that she can comprehend at the age of 16. Yeah. I was very much simplifying. I was very much simplifying. (laughs) Because... (laughs) Because... I mean, the narrative for people, like, who have been talking about the movie is that, like, she sees one hot guy and is like, take my legs. <laughs> like, take my fin, I should say. Give me those legs. I want that my I want that man. And some people have agreed with it. Some people have, like, come up with fairly decent arguments against it. And I like when people have come up with arguments against it because it gives the film more credit than just, like, doing the stupid stupid basic thing like that. So I was like, okay. So I went into the movie with all that in mind, and now I'm like, but I kind of get it, though. I kind of get why all that exists. Not to justify people going as far as they have gone, like saying that the film is, like, awful or a bad role model for children or whatever like that, but... I get it in the sense that many times in the film, it is stated either outright or through whatever else, whatever means of filmmaking, that the whole point is that Ariel wants to join the human world. It's all about the human world. 
She's interested in the culture and the artifacts, quote unquote. She wants to learn more about them. It's basically Tarzan before Tarzan was Tarzan. Yeah, they give her a lot of shit. All I see is a budding anthropologist. Right. The yeah. issue, Which she was though, interested in before he even shows up. I'm going to put fair. that out there, too. Yeah. People have definitely pointed that out, that, like, she already had this obsession, and then she met Eric. So, but the issue is that via, like, how film tends to shake out, the structure of most films, the film also heavily implies that, like, nothing really starts until she sees Eric. Once she sees Eric, then everything starts to kind of pop off and we have a plot. Um, and so I think because... Yeah, which is a third of the way into the movie. <laughs> it's a half hour right. into the movie. Yeah, it really is. I was a bit surprised. That, and we don't really even know why she gives a damn. What do you mean? There's like no, there's nothing that explains why she's so enamored. I mean, and nobody else it maybe has to do with sea cucumbers. He's dreamy! He is dreamy, TJ! <laughs> what? Trev? Hmm? <laughs> I was going to ignore Trevor's comment. <laughs> no, I would like him to explain himself. Hmm? I'm an of chaos. I don't think you can include that in the- <laughs> I'm definitely going to include that. <laughs> so. <laughs> but also, like, hold on. But actually, when you think about it, in the Murr world, for her to be attracted to a human is that bestiality. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> I mean, I look, we're not at that's... we're not at Beauty and the Beast yet. We can't have that conversation. That's yet. a different story. No, Beauty and the Beast is a, is a furry. That's a furry situation. We cannot have this conversation twice in one episode. <laughs> no, no, but like, is it? Because they look at it as if it's like bestiality. Like, is that the equivalent of one day she's like, "Oh man, I'm gonna study these. Uh, I'm gonna study these toads in the woods," and then there's a goat. Um. <laughs> I told you, I don't have that many notes. I'm just going to go for the jugular at any given point. That's what I'm going to do today. (laughs) But like, my thing, my thing is that really, really, it's so just hard to get over because the film never addresses it. And so it's just this lingering. It's literally... Just an elephant right in the middle of every romance scene, every song, every, like, action scene. It's this thing that's just hit, standing here, waiting for you to talk about, waiting for you to... What's your answer to this one question? Hello, nobody wants to answer it. Ariel, do you just not care that the humans eat fish? What that the scene fuck? was real cringeworthy. With the chef, I was like, oh, I'm seeing this in a whole different... Uh... Also, worst song. Yeah, it's it's not great. Worst you're song right. of it any of so these. It was so cringeworthy. It's the worst song in any of these ten movies, is La Poisson. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just... Like, she literally sees Sebastian on a plate. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, 
I still got to get that kiss, though. So, Sebastian, I know you almost died and your carcass was almost feasted on by the folks I'm here to impress, but can you be my wingman? Like, come on, don't be selfish. I need a wingman. Like, come on. Like, come on. Come on. <laughs> like, she's that's also what... a child. That's the vibe. And yeah, she's 16. Again. <laughs> she's a baby. What is with these people? Because <laughs> here's the thing. Here's, okay. Uh, let me start, stop beating around the bush. My main thing, the first time I watched, rewatched this movie with fresh eyes a year ago, was that this movie has a chance to work if Ariel's more more of her mission is bridging the gap, is like bringing these two worlds together, not just running away from the underwater world to the human world, but genuinely being interested in like, why do we not associate with them? Why do we always have to hide? Her asking all these questions, them not really wanting to answer it, and then it could reveal that, I don't know, Triton did some shit in the past and the humans got pissy about it and so they fucked off and they fucked off to their respective corners. And so Ariel's just like, oh, well then, let's just fix it. And everyone's like, you can't fix it. And she's like, but I wanna. And in the process, meets a handsome dude and wants to get down as it will. As it were. Well, and he's like, also royalty, which means he can help bridge that gap. You know, it's right there. Yeah. But instead, yeah. half the reason people give her shit is because she says the phrase, Daddy, I love him. Oh, boy. But that's, that's such a thing 16-year-old girls do. That's, that's like fine. such a thing. That's fine. It doesn't make it okay, but it is like, I was like. There's actually only two princesses who I do know that so many people that were her. Decade. And it's her and Pocahontas. And that is indicative. Oh, well, let's not start on Pocahontas. Like, that was my... That was my whole thing the first time I watched this. Because I was just like, there needs to be more. There needs to be more depth to this than just, ooh, the human world is shiny and new, and I just want that. Because, I mean, you're 16? It's like... Not to invalidate 16-year-olds, but it's also like, I mean, you just don't really have the perspective to go, yeah, I would like to leave everything I've ever known for this place I've never been to before. Yeah, I'll do it. Like, no. Like, even somebody older, I would be like, are, 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 are you sure about that? Like, but this time I rewatched it, and I was more willing to roll with them on the premise but then i just don't like how they did the premise i just don't like the execution <laughs> like because let's track this for a second the film starts off on eric yeah which is a strange choice the film starts off on eric and them sailing to just establish that they exist and then we go down to the celebration Already in progress with Ariel gone, a celebration we don't really know what the even fucking purpose of is of it's to this. it's her coming out to society. But also, she's like sixteen. Did she never? Is this frozen? Did they just never see her? Kinda could have been weird because they never like touch on it 
at all. It's just a celebration that they maybe kind of go, yeah, you only get to infer from the actual performance lyrics that, like, they're introducing Ariel. And then they never really talk about the importance of the performance ever again, just the fact that she wasn't there. And then, like, she's kind of just shown to be established, like, yeah, she's into human shit, and we never get a reason why. And then we see Ursula, and they establish Ursula. And I'm starting to see a pattern here of just like, okay, so I get that you want to establish all of these things. But so many of these scenes just read as, well, we got to make sure you know who Eric is. We got to make sure you know what Triton's pissed about. We got to make sure you get what Ariel's about. We got to make sure you know what Ursula's about. And it doesn't quite feel like a story that you're telling. It feels like you're kind of getting the chess pieces in place. All right. Okay. Okay. And now go. And I'm like, there's a better way to do that. (laughs) But there... There's just a better way to do that. I will say, though, I think you need to give them a little grace because it is the first one. You know, they're switching over to this new, what would become the Renaissance films, you know? like when There you is a bit of a format change old, in some ways. I'll agree with that. Yeah, you have, to, you have to give it a little bit of grace to let them, like, figure it out. But do I... Yes. Uh, I'm not saying it's a great movie. I'm not saying it's a terrible movie, but I'm just saying like they're for for being the first one. It could have gone wrong in a lot other ways as well, is what I'm saying. To paraphrase a quote from Jackie Chan, because there's a reason I'm usually not that forgiving to stuff like this of like well it's the context it's the time there's what you gotta understand because jackie chan was like you know basically he was having an interview and said like you know the way americans do movies is just like it's kind of like we don't have a lot of time we don't have a lot of time to just make sure that everything's right sometimes you just got to get what you can get and then you can you just have to make do and people have to understand that And versus, you know, Jackie Chan infamously being a perfectionist and getting the perfect way to do all the scenes that he wants to do. And he's like, well, it's not like you're going to go to every screening of every movie and talk to the audience beforehand. Like, hey, just so you know, this one scene, the lighting and the, you know, there was rainy and all this stuff. You're not you're not going to be able to do that. The film has to kind of stand on its own a little bit. And there are certain times where that will be unavoidable where you have to go this was made at a very specific time we will touch on a film like that a little bit later yeah but like to a certain extent you i mean there has to be a point where you kind of go like yes but yes i understand that but you still have a kind of job to do as a movie to kind of do certain things a certain level of like i'm with you once you start doing certain things that make me kind of get out of the movie and start going, I don't know why you're doing that. Like, that's when it starts to get distracting, or at least for me. And I get that this might just be a me thing. Um, because I just imagine, like, a, just a simpler way to do all of this is bec- is to just start with them having a meeting about the celebration that's a very quick, easy way to give some exposition 
of like, this is Triton. This is why we're having a celebration for Triton. We're introducing, you know, the the last of his daughters and just have a little shot of Ariel being distracted and not really engaged. And they go, Ariel? And she's like, oh, uh, yeah. Hi. And then like kind of moves on and it's kind of awkward. And you get a little chance to kind of give very quick, very general characterizations to the sisters if they have like a line or two give a little characterization to triton and how of of a parent what kind of a parent he is what kind of person sebastian is and all of that is in service to contrast it with ariel who's not about this meeting at all not about the celebration not about anything and she's looking off into the distance and then she sees colors coming up from the surface And she kind of looks to see if anyone's paying attention and kind of slips away. And then you just do the fireworks scene that is in the movie, more or less largely unchanged. Because that is a great introduction into Eric, into Ariel, into the fact that they have this kind of immediate unspoken like thing and Ariel's like what the fuck is going on and this could be the first time she really ever sees anything about the surface which you can also build in if like I guess flounder but I mean if you're putting it in my hands I'm just gonna replace it with a sister because flounder doesn't really do anything and also sister relationships are nice and it's weird that Ariel and Ursula are kind of the only meaningful women in this whole movie that's aimed at women. Yeah, let's not start on that. Mm. Um, So, like, you could just... Ad- you gotta get into the whole queer coding thing, too. Yeah, like, you, you, I mean, but you can address, you know, her sister kind of, like, catches her before she gets to the service. She's like, hey, you're not supposed to go up there. And Ariel's like, but why? Nobody's ever told me that, and I've never been up to the surface, so until somebody tells me, I have to figure out for myself. And so her sister's like, well, I mean, I can't stop you, but I can only cover for you for so long. So just be careful. And all of this stuff establishes things much more organically in like a single scene. And then you can have the fireworks thing. You can have Ariel save Eric and slip away and stuff and then have Flotsam and Jetsam spot all of this happening and introduce Ursula that way. That way you don't have to awkwardly have two different Ursula scenes that both introduce Ursula, weirdly. And then that's just an an organic reason as to why a few months later she's collecting human shit. I don't know why we have to have all this weird shit. <laughs> of like, Your way's a lot less dramatic, though. I disagree. I actually like TJ's better. Oh no! We have to have we have to have the shark fight. Oh God! Do the shark we? eats up the the oh yes? Uh, the this is a weird moment, everyone. <laughs> this is a weird moment where TJ and I are agreeing against a guest. That never happens. Specifically against Cat. <laughs> Specifically because I'm right, Ta. <laughs> oh, I love the drama. I loved the drama, and it's on a sunken ship, and you get to see her around more of the things she loves. There's nothing even saying you can't have that scene, just later. No. Just like after a time skip. No. A a time jump. No. It's not the most unheard of thing in the world, but 
I I kind of knew that we were going to spend a lot of time on Little Mermaid, so... Well, it's the, again, it's the first. It sort of, like, sets up... It switches us over to this new brand... Not brand, but new sort of... <sighs> philosophy that they're going with and i mean i think it was the first princess they had done in a while so yeah you it could was. say brand yeah um so that's why i you know i personally like i said was not re-watching it it was not as good as i remembered it but i you know there was there's a certain like reverence for the fact that you know this is she's the first in a while and represents um Sort of this new era. Era or Aurora. <laughs> Aurora Borealis. <laughs> Aurora. Located entirely within your kitchen. <laughs> yes. All to say, though, definitely watch the whole movie, and I was like Sebastian's, where it's at. I mean, I didn't really like any character other than Ursula, but uh, that's not fair. <laughs> I identified with Sebastian. I was like his he's like, this girl, this girl needs some help. And I was like, yes. From second yes, one so of Ursula's introduction, I'm like, you are the most interesting thing in this movie. <laughs> God, I just live, every time she does anything, I live for it. She's so extra and I love it. <laughs> did you want to touch on anything? I did, I did, I did. I did some quick research on the whole thing because uh-huh. I'm I'm caught between, I'm caught between the nineties queer coding villains like, and that's an, like a discomfort for me, but also like doing a little bit of research. Like I, I found out why I essentially found out like some, not why, but some connective tissue as to like why Ursula is the way she is. Um, because I don't know if you two knew this, she was based on a drag queen divine. Yeah. Um, and she was supposed to be more like Joan Collins in the original design, but apparently I didn't know this. The lyricist for little mermaid, beauty and the beast and Aladdin, was a was a gay man who died of AIDS before Beauty and the Beast came out. Yeah, Howard Ashman. Um, I had no idea that this was a thing, um, and so apparently, like they like dig into it in his documentary um, about how like he was presented with this Joan Collinsy kind of look to it, and he was like, "No, I'm looking for something else. I'm looking for something else." And then like it clicked for him that somebody showed uh, a heavier set version, and he went, "No, okay, cool. We have to do it this way." Um, and so like it's interesting that like. This is very much like an homage to a person that like they greatly respected, but at the same time, like definitely contributes to like the overall trend of like queer coding villains um, that I'm kind of like, all right. Um, And the other thing is that like, you know, as, as Kat was talking about, like kind of this new era. And I think this is something that it's really great to have Kat around for is that like Alan Menken does most of these. Um, And it shows and like the style like even though he changes styles slightly you can definitely hear him underneath it and i think it's definitely a tonal shift because when you think of a disney princess you're basically thinking ariel's voice um like i mean yeah because i mean it's weird they do it does have a weird all of them have i did notice this and i'm glad that you pointed that out like a very specific sound of voice even though they're very distinct it's so different. I mean, it's very clear to that what we hear today that these are all the ones oh, that moved to musical theater, as opposed to Cinderella yeah. or Snow White. Um, and so I think that yeah. like, that's definitely the inspiration because like like there's a difference between how Cinderella and Snow White sing stylistically. 
than how mm-hmm. basically every Disney princess sings from Little Mermaid onward. Um, well, there's only three Disney princesses and only two of them sing. And the whole Renaissance. Uh, and it's only Pocahontas. these three in a row. What do you mean? Little Mermaid, Belle, yeah. Mulan. Mm. Jasmine, I mean, people say Mulan is yes, a princess, somebody... but... Okay, all right, all right, yeah. all right. But even then, like, you go even farther. Like, you know, obviously Adina Menzel is is Elsa. And, like, so that's musical but theater. She's, like, well, we have, to, we have to focus on Anna because Elsa... Again, this whole branding thing of, like, calling them princesses and then so many of them aren't princesses drives me insane because Elsa's a queen. So, okay. The ugh. point is, our lady protagonists... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> have a shift in in how they sing. Um, yeah, you know. Would you uh, put Mandy then, Moore? Kristen in that? Bell is what? Would you put Mandy Moore? They're, in that? they're even to me. That's a whole yeah. even. That's a whole different thing. To I mean, me, I though, guess after the Renaissance, folky, the style changes. Or not folky. That's like pop folk. Yeah, um, that she kind of does. But even then, like I still think that 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 style is inspired by. You couldn't sit here and say that like oh. Rapunzel sounds like Britney Spears because that's like the time. No, it's like it's still based in like this same stew. It's a variation on this stew, but it's a, this is the same stew. Whereas like if this is stew, like Cinderella and Snow White are like are like broth. Well, let me like <laughs> let me let me ask you something then. Do you think that it's Ariel that's providing the template for all these? princess voices or is it just the ingenue i think it's i think it's the start of this i think it's alan menken i think that's the point i started is that it's alan menken's choices in this movie that then inform disney for the next 30 years yeah Yeah, because you no longer get this this high pitch voice of like Snow White and Cinderella, you get this more like, I mean, they still belt and, you know, but it's definitely, it's more, Cat, please elaborate on this because you're a better singer <laughs> than I am and you're, you're a musician. Um, it's not, it's not, I wouldn't, I mean, would you call Cinderella and Snow White like head voice as opposed to like chest voice or... Um- I would say personally, what I would say is the difference is they start moving towards the idea of being an individual. Mm. The thing that I notice most about Cinderella and Snow White is they try their voices are so um, a way that you can replicate them. Pretty much anyone could sort of sing with that sort of timbre and that sort of feel and vibe. Whereas this is when you start getting to voices that are really different. Um, are they? And they, they they pick people. Well, I do. I genuinely think that they pick people with um, that have something different about each of their voices that obviously goes with the character, but they're trying to give them slightly more individualism. Um, and again, you're probably I. I mean, so I so what you would so I guess if we're to like break this down into the progression of of diversity in this way of voices and of styles is that. While both Snow White and Cinderella are Times New Roman and it's the same paragraph, um, it's <laughs> with with Disney Renaissance, it's same paragraph, different font. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it's pretty that's that's pretty much exactly what what it is. Yeah. Vocally as well. 
you know, very similar, but just slightly different. Whereas now they're changing new fonts, same, same, like point size, same, all of that, but different. They're trying to give at least something slightly different, which is why today you can have someone like Idina Menzel voice one of these, um, like such an iconic character. And this is where I think, who would have thought the Little Mermaid would start? It's Alan Mingum. We're going to give it all. We, we set the stage. I, I think that was half the point of doing this one first is that we kind yeah. of set the stage for, to talk about the rest of them a little bit quicker. Um, but that's yeah. that's all I had. That was the one oh, thing I noticed. I was like, huh, okay, wait. We've talked about mm. Cinderella and like the, when we talked about the remakes. Um, and so it's like, yeah, okay, cool. This is starting something. God, that seems like an eternity mm. ago. Start of something new. I know, right? I don't remember. It really was, though. (laughs) It was almost a full year ago. Um, So, if I'm correct in assuming that we're pretty much done with Little Mermaid. Yeah. We've spiraled. We've spiraled out of the Little Mermaid already. So, let's talk about so many things that Little Mermaid tried to do that were just improved with Beauty and the Beast. This is the empire to a new hope of the Disney Renaissance because it's so good for me. This was the movie I was referring to earlier of just like, I just rewatched this movie last year, I think for our remake conversation, maybe. Um, and I was like, okay. And I just kind of accepted and moved on noting that it was, yeah, it was better than the remake, obviously. But this time there was something that just kind of hit better for me. Like the story is more timeless. It is more genuinely sincere. The characters are just very good at being themselves. And Oh, it's so good. It makes it so mm. that I think in some way shape or fo- shape some way shape or form in this movie and the next movie Every movie after it is trying to chase some element of these two movies, this one and the next one, for a while. They're trying to get very specific things, and I think Beauty and the Beast starts this ball rolling. Because the characters in this one, it's almost as if you just can just put them in a situation and it writes itself in a way that is usually a good sign of, like, good character writing. Like, there's something about Cogsworth telling Lumiere to guard Belle's door, and he goes, Yes, Capitan! And he just, like, starts pacing in front of the door. That's just, like, I genuinely can't tell if you're being serious or taking the piss, and I love that. It's so good. (laughs) Because I could see both. I could see him doing either. I think my head can is that he's kind of taking the piss and just having fun, just being like, "Yes, oh yeah, uh-huh. of course it." The candelabra will will hold the door. <laughs> oh god, that's only slightly better than Ewan's. Um, so God, so I swear this will not just devolve into a shitting on the remake. I I promise. <laughs> but watching this, it's very easy to see. Why the remake is so annoying because 
there are things I would have loved to see elaborated on. I would have loved to see it seen expounded on. There are times where I'm like, you could delve a little bit deeper into this. And that's something that the animated movies, they're like weirdly covertly married to this 90 minute runtime. And I'm just like, I could have seen Beauty and the Beast being like 15 minutes longer, maybe. But, you know, fine, whatever. It's still good as it is. Like, it's not really even a con. It's just me going, I would have been fine with more movies. 90 minutes is the runtime of a nine-year-old's bladder. So. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) And also a 60-year-old's. I mean, for being honest. Agent of Chaos. Um, can we talk about how the villagers are anti-intellectual Republicans? I love I love how you're <laughs> continuing this thing you started a couple weeks ago about it's the war of you versus older people. <laughs> <laughs> I love to see Ooh. continuity in my podcasts. <laughs> no, no, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's because it, it's, you know, boomers. I, I'm sorry. Like, you know, it's those totally you like, no, have, man. have it rough and. <laughs> And need extra care and and don't get the, you know, get don't get the emotional fulfillment you want. Like, hey, you know what? We should be doing more to support you. But then just give up your fucking money so we can have the social programs to do it. God damn it. We'll let people take care of you and we'll fund it. You just got to get over yourselves, you motherfuckers. Go on. Speaking of Republicans. um, Tell us how you really feel. I don't know how to follow that. Not holding back over here. You have you have you have over sixty percent of the wealth. <laughs> Give it up. You can't take it with you. You're just creating shitty children. You're creating <laughs> shitty children who will have poor values about their money. <laughs> and will hold us back. And you will probably it's more appealing for you to turn to fascism than it is to support each other. And that's a problem, boomers. This is just turned into Trevor Cipher part two. Just old <laughs> white people who cannot cope with change. And so they want fascism. That's what it is. Okay? All right. So, um, you know, there's those back and forths about like, bell uh uh the song bell being the you know there's a joke on the internet which was pretty funny at the time which was oh there goes his baker with his bread like always like ah there goes bell with their daily mean song about us you have Um, said that in every episode (laughs) but but watching it this time i had another tick where it's like they all look at her like she's so peculiar for reading books and it's not even a woman thing in that in my mind anymore it's very much just like a well you think you're better than me Huh? Yeah, you think you're better than me? Because you oh, you believe the liberal media. Do your own research. That's that's who these villagers are. The (laughs) fuck is that supposed to mean? You you think you're better than me? Huh? What are you talking about? (laughs) You think your dad, Maurice, is gonna invent a vaccine? He's putting a microchip in. (laughs) God, this has spiraled. Uh... (laughs) I knew I knew I was going to take this one and I was going to shove something. I was going to shove it so far to the other direction because you're um, being genuine about like, this is good. And I'm like, I'm going to bring up all the wrong things. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so, about all I actually had in terms of like jokes. 
they get fear mongered into taking out the person who's not like them, you know, Republicans. Um, <laughs> I think that's the most on the nose part about this movie. <laughs> you know, their leader is a chauvinist who doesn't like the word no and thinks that women will love him. Um, you know, it's not it's not um, unreasonable. And then my only other thing is that the stained glass intro is kind of boring. And uh, I've been to the restaurant in Disney World and it's very good. And so the song just makes me think of the restaurant. I tried the gray stuff. It was delicious. It's people. I feel like if you went to that restaurant and you didn't get the gray stuff, there'd be something wrong. You know, like, it comes in a cart. There's a dessert cart. Oof. And it's is it from the trolley days? <laughs> Magic. Magic. Okay, cool. Now that I've done my now that I've done my tangents. Do you want to do you want to say anything more about this one? The only thing I'm I loved the stained glass, but that's because I personally have like I love stained glass as a human. So for me, I love. I feel like they did that in Shrek too, though, right? That that's not for everyone. They were, I think, were riffing on this. Yeah, but this came first. Yeah, but it's it's just better when they're riffing on it. Plus, it's a storybook. It's not it's not actual stained glass. It's just pages in a book. No, there's another one that does stained glass as an intro. Everything about it. It, What I say is not important enough today. (laughs) I was living my best life watching this. I really was. I mean, it is just genuinely good. It's a bop. I also think the story lends itself, not to again go back to Little Mermaid, but like that OG story is a bit, I think, harder to make. Like, they really had to change that ending to make it appropriate. Yeah. Whereas Beauty and the Beast, the, like, format of it fits so well. Oh, I just thought it was such a beautiful choice. So well done. Um, I mean, there's some, you know, things, but um, ugh, I really, loved every second rewatch. Really unexpected thing for me. I think the person that got the most consistent, loudest laughs from me was the fucking Beast. <laughs> His temper is funny. Well, I want to be careful. Yeah. Well, and now again, we're older and we identify with different characters. That's what uh, something I noticed about the whole rewatching all of these. I was like, man, I get this now. I want to be careful. I'm not identifying with the Beast because yikes. <laughs> but you also you like the Hulk, so it's. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's too bad. Uh, it's too bad. Human Human Beast is ugly. What? Aw, he's ugly. <laughs> just waiting for Cat. <laughs> I, I was just waiting for Cat's response. He's beautiful. He's enchanting. He's beautiful. I was like, hold up. Hold up. <laughs> yeah, Beauty and the Beast is just good. Like, for a while, because I watched these in chronological order, it was just sitting at number one in my rankings for just a while. I was like, something, knock it off. Because until I see better, here's this the is thing. just default number one. <laughs> I still wouldn't choose it, though. Right. It like, did not end up being like, my hey, number one. If somebody was like, hey, watch a Disney Renaissance movie, I, would, I wouldn't choose it. Right. It did not end up being my number one. It was more so like, this is the standard that I was starting to kind of measure other movies with and I think that's what happened in real life. I think that's just <laughs> how that happened in the nineties. Everyone was just like, but is it Beauty and the Beast? Yeah. Which of course leads us to Aladdin. And oh 
So, so before we get into this, like we we have we said we talked about this off off mic, but I think it's so interesting that this one has the cultural insensitivity warning. Yeah, but Pocahontas doesn't. I did not notice it. I did not notice one before Pocahontas. Let me and let so me like double check us on that. Yeah, should check on that. I don't like, remember. I don't remember seeing it. Um. But I vividly remember seeing it. Yeah, before I, the one Aladdin. before Aladdin yeah. was long, so, so I feel like I would have noticed if it came before any other movie. And so well, when I don't I just, think it came before any other movie. And and that's the interesting thing is because like ah yeah no uh, America's reputation with Native Americans a hell of a lot more worthy of that uh, of that tile yeah it does not than Aladdin than America's uh, not that they're both great. Um, America's perspective on fictional Middle Eastern, uh, kingdoms. Um, we talk so much about how, like, for things like Coco or even Finding Nemo, the level of research that goes into film, to movies like that, into animated films like that, to see, like, oh, how does this fish move? Or how does, you know, what is the most honorable way we can honor, like, Dia de los Muertos? And the thing about Aladdin is that, like, it's very clear that that's not the thing here. Like, we haven't hit that point yet in Disney's, like, background checking. Or if they do, they're going so much off of a assumption of a story. Because, like, the English adaptation of the Thousand One Arabian Nights um, is, like, is from the 1800s. So, like, there's a lot of assumptions made in that translation and things like that. And this is a very minor story in the grand scheme of that whole thing. Um, and it's also based, supposed to be, he's supposed to be Chinese. Um, and so that's a whole thing. So they're going off of like six million assumptions to then land in this quote unquote culture, which is not to say that it's not a melting pot, but it's mixing things from like northern India and that subcontinent with things from Saudi Arabia and like northern Africa and Le- Le- the Levant and things like that. And so it's like it's a melting pot, but not in the way that like Raya and the Last Dragon is. Because they did the research to be like, we don't want to say one particular nation in this really crazy melting pot of Southeast Asia, so we're going to make it fictionalized. It's not the same. And I think it's interesting that that's, that that's not a thing. It's like it's not like you couldn't afford to do that to make it really like hit. And I think that's part of why the remake then becomes a little problematic when he's wearing like the hoodie vest um, in the live action, because it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, no, you, you're even steering even farther into the fictionalization and the, and the, you know, mythologizing of this so-called region kind of thing. TJ's face right now. (laughs) (laughs) I thought about that fucking hoodie vest again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) this is also something we brought up on Mike. It's just like, whenever I think about Will Smith, I'm just like, I know you're talented, but I could probably list your good movies on like one hand. What what's going on, well, buddy? He's up for he's up for an Oscar, probably. Ugh, that's... They haven't nominated him yet, but he's probably gonna get nominated. God, now I'm thinking about the stupid Grammys again. Oh god. Okay, so Aladdin. The thing with Aladdin, it's very weird. I found this one of the weirder ones to rank. Because I wouldn't say Aladdin does a lot wrong. Like, the movie's good. But I don't know if it's really knocking on the door of great that hard. 
Um, and really, for me, personally, again, this is a me thing. This is a personal thing, but I know a lot of people share this sentiment. One of the surefire ways to shoot your film in the foot, no matter how good it is, one way to immediately give your film a harder time into walking through that door of being great is having a fucking liar revealed storyline. I hate liar revealed stories. I can't fucking stand them. And like this film, thankfully is not one of the worst versions of this, but dear God, it's like once you realize you're on a liar revealed story track, you can just plot the rest of the movie. Because it's like, oh, it's like the misunderstanding in ro- in ro- rom-coms. It's just like this thing of, why do you feel the need to have this same thing happen so many times and not change it? Like, a little bit? And to be fair, this was, I think... I don't want to say that The Liar Revealed is a fairly new thing, but I think it's still slightly before this trope got pounded into the dirt the way that it is now. That, like, I swear to God, if Disney or Pixar does a fucking Liar Revealed story in, like, 2022, I will walk up out of the theater. I will stop my Disney+. Plus. I will just be like, no, no. No, you cut that shit out. You got that out of your system in the 90s slash early 2000s. And thank God, because I do, I never want to go back there. It is, I hate it. Now, all that said, I think Aladdin is an interesting character. I think Jasmine is an interesting character. And I think their interaction is genuinely nice and it's interesting. So I should like this more. And there's just that thing. There's just this thing that keeps keeps me from, like, loving this movie. And I think, given everything I've just said, I have no choice but to kind of just assume, like, maybe it's the liar revealed angle. Maybe it's literally just the... I mean, that's it. It's stopping you. That's the one. That's it. That's the one thing getting in the way of everything is this one stupid trope that you already hate that kind of gets stretched a little bit to kind of make certain things happen that otherwise, well, how else would it happen? It's like Genie has to end up with Jafar. So they have to kind of do this thing where Aladdin goes, well, I can't free you because I need you just in case. And Genie wants to be freed right here and now, and not just, like, a little later. And this all is tethered. It's, like, duct duct taped to the lie reveal thing of, like, well, I can't let on. I have to keep to the charade. And it's, like, at this point, I mean, you kind of already won. I get... Because I think they're ignoring the the more common sense thing of just like, I don't think Aladdin, I just don't think Aladdin wants to be Sultan. Why don't we talk about that? That's what seems like the real issue is just like, the Sultan says you're going to be Sultan. He goes like, wait, what? (laughs) 
oh, I didn't think about this. <laughs> but then they're so married to the liar revealed thing that it's like becomes this. And I'm like, and then Jafar reveals that Ali was Aladdin and it's this supposed to be this thing that nobody cares about. Nobody cares that Ali is really Aladdin at this point. Jafar's about to end the whole world. Like, <laughs> nobody gives a shit. Which also, can we just can we just acknowledge, Jafar, why do you need that lamp? When you have a clock tower that will show you what you ask it. Like, you have the technology, bruh. You have the you technology. You don't need the magic. You have, you've clearly created something. But he wants it. I... It's just a thing of like, if you're already controlling the Sultan, my guy, why do you need anything? Yeah, no, you have everything you could ever because want. I mean, humans sure. are greedy. I mean, yeah, sure. sure. All right, whatever. that's fair. Um, that's that's I'm that's fine. Your question, friends. <laughs> but it's like you know, then you see your own bait there, Jafar. Um, I think it's like it's weird because, like I said, I liked Aladdin's character and I like his complexity in terms of like. You know, where he goes in the movie. I like his journey. I like Jasmine. I think she's one of the covertly smartest Disney princesses. She's very good on her feet and very intelligent and does stand up for herself, which makes it all the more weird that the remake was like, we have to make sure that Jasmine stands up for herself. It's like, fuck her, she did. In a sequence that doesn't, yeah, in a sequence that's all on her head. Um well, no, but I, what I, uh, to your point about their relationship and stuff like that, like it's like great, cool, you're moving me along, you're grabbing me. It's the whole uh, she thinks the monkey's the sultan moment where he's where he rats her out, and then she goes along with it, um, and is like, oh my goodness, hello, like constable, and she's talking to the camel. It's one of those, mom- those moments where it's like this is not only like funny, but it's also like oh, okay, cool. This shows that they're on like that same level of intelligence. Yeah. And it's a bonding moment yeah. because it's those interactions in random public when you meet somebody that create friendships and then also create relationships. It's like when you click with someone in that way and then can play off of them. It's like, cool. That's what makes me believe them as a couple. This is legitimately probably one of the better. This is one of the best written couple dynamics in the Renaissance. Oh, yeah. They're soups cute. Oh, but it's not so just that. Cute. I support them so much. It's not just that they're cute, though. It's that, like, this is... They work so well. This one relationship is almost an immediate get-out-of-jail-free card when people talk about, like, the stupid Frozen thing of, like, you got married to a guy you met the first day? And it's, like, clearly riffing on the 90s renaissance and the older films as well. Although you can give a pass to the older films. They're very different films made in very different times. But, like, it's a thing of, yeah, but Aladdin and Jasmine, you can definitely tell they are really good together because they show it. They don't just keep saying they're right for each other, friends. They just show it through actual acts of, like, they get each other. That like, honestly, Jasmine outwits Aladdin almost ex- like on almost the exact same kind of thinking that Aladdin outwits the genie and getting him out of the cave. It's like they're just they're right there. So it's like this weird thing of I guess I wanted more of that, but I also got a lot of that. So what's the problem? There's something about this movie. Maybe it's the pacing. 
because again, I keep kind of eyeing this 90 minute runtime of just like, there's a definite pace, especially once I started watching these movies in sequence, like back to back to back, there is a very specific pace with very little breathing room in these movies. And they really get in the scene, get to the point and kind of, they move on. It's like, that's it. These movies have a very specific pace. And so a lot of times I found myself kind of almost resisting the urge to zone out on these movies since I already knew where they were going because they're going so quickly Mm. that it's like, all right. I mean, I don't really, I already know what happens and I'm just kind of ready to keep going because the movies keep keeping going. Like, they don't really linger on things all that often. And when they do, it's shit like Jen and Aladdin and Jasmine talking. Like, it's things that make sense. So, I like the movie, but there is something about it that keeps me from, like, loving it. And then also, I don't think we need to go into the same tired thing. Everyone has said it at this point. We've also said it at various points in this podcast. Yes, Robin Williams is amazing. We all love Robin Williams. It's just that, like, Aladdin discourse always gets kind of dominated by that very quickly. So it's like, yes, we all love the genie. The genie is, although watching it now, it is sort of also like, genie is used the perfect amount. I think, I think any more, and it would have been just that bit annoying. I think the funny thing is that like there's a there's a parody of this um, done by Starkid, the people who did Very Potter Musical, called Twisted, and it's supposed to be like Wicked, but for Jafar, um, where where it's literally just like flipping it on its head, where it's like, no, Jasmine is kind of just a kid, and the Sultan is an idiot, and Jafar is the only one who's like, I actually run this kingdom. Maybe I should have a little bit more power, um, and it all gets like churned on its head, and then like they make Aladdin like an actual street rat kind of asshole, and there's a genie character and he's just a dude who shows up every now and then and has a like a snide smile on his face and then just like makes a reference. And that's their whole parody on the genie. And so it's like, if, if they had done something like that, where it's like, there's not a single moment where Robin can't be funny and must always be that, um, then that's, and that's what it would be. Um, and obviously they're taking it a step farther because that's not what this movie does. Like they actually give Robin Williams plenty of space to be sincere and be an actual like yeah friend um character and have an emotional stake in everything and things that he wants and so that's that's what makes it superior in that way yeah so if there's nothing else on Aladdin next we have Lion King I have nearly nothing to say on Lion King <laughs> I I like I understand it's a renaissance movie but to me Lion King is such its own thing that like it's hard to I mean it's definitely become that put it in perspective with the rest of these I mean I don't know why but it's for me a, the shine got knocked off hard of Lion King over the years because the Lion King used to be my standard bearer it used to be the movie I held up as like this is the best Disney movie period I will not hear anything else about this. This is the best Disney movie, and every movie come that comes after it cannot surpass The Lion King. That's why I really took it personally when people were like, 
oh, Frozen's the new Lion King. And I was like, fuck off. <laughs> no. Frozen has way too many problems to be compared to the Lion King. Okay. Way too many problems structurally and like from that script to be compared to the Lion King. I don't care how successful it is. And now I'm older and I, I'm not married to the Lion King as much as I was um, after like the more I've like studied movies and stuff and all that jazz. It's like my tastes have understandably changed and but the thing is that Lion King is so intimately familiar with my brain that looking at it critically is almost impossible not to say that I can't find issues with it cuz I can but it's like it's almost pointless it like for us three, this won't really relate that much, especially to Trevor. But, like, for the average person, this is kind of like if you had to direct one of your best friends in a show. It's kind of like, are you are you really directing it? Like, I think the average person would kind of be a little hesitant to even try to do that. Or it's like directing, like, your mom, in a, in a musical, it's like, I kind of just don't even want to. <laughs> it's like. That movie is our mom now. Like, oh, God. We are literally recording this on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, And so it's just this thing of like, I watched it and I had to so many times stop myself from zoning out. Because. It's too familiar. It's too, like, I don't know how to, f- I don't know how to uh, feel more feelings about Scar than the Scar, than the feelings I already had from 10 years old. Nothing's really changed. Like, I don't know how to feel new feelings about the fact that, like, yeah, Nala's a good character. Wish we saw more of her. But it's just like, well, yeah, duh. It's like I kept I kept feeling myself thinking it that of like yeah duh of course yeah the movie kind of does kind of it takes a dip post Akuna Matata a little bit because yeah all the energy was in the first was in the first half <laughs> everything else now is just getting Simba off of his ass which is just not as it cannot be as interesting as the fucking elephant graveyard followed by the stampede followed by the hyena chase followed by akuna but like yeah it notably takes a little bit of a dip everyone knows that already though including me so it's like i don't really know how to look at this more objectively like i mean yeah like i said i then don't we can move on i know that's fine but like i guess i guess yeah Nala is a good character that maybe could have used more focus. Sure. But the only the only new thing for me is that like Timon is more of a, a gaslighter than Yeah, I he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. The more I the more I think about Timon, I'm like, wow, Timon, yeah. I do I would not want to be around Timon if Timon was a person in my life because literally you ever do anything that Timon doesn't want to do and he looks at you like, hey, you know, guess you're abandoning us, and it's like, what that's fucking toxic. <laughs> Nathan Lane, calm down. Um, 
and that's it. And then uh, what got me a line I didn't remember is when they're talking about the stars and Pumbaa goes, I always thought they were big balls of gas burning million billions of miles away. <laughs> and I was just like, all right. Okay, Pumbaa. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, man. Uh, Science. But yeah, I guess the main thing that is inevitable when you're, when you have a specific childhood and then you watch The Lion King as an adult. And then you get to the scene where Simba is on- Simba is honest. Probably for the first time. He's just honest and vulnerable with Timon and Pumbaa. And then they laugh at him. And he leaves. It hits that bit different. Of just like... Yeah, I, f- I feel that more... I feel that more now. Um, And it gave a sense of depth to this character that literally no other time in the movie I feel anything really towards this character. Like, this is the most recent, like, epiphany for me about Lion King from the last couple years is just that I kind of don't really give a shit about Simba. Like, I... I've never related to him. I've never related to this Jonathan Taylor Thomas lion. I, I sung the songs. I never believed anything in the songs though. Like, <laughs> so it's just this thing. It was this one moment where I was kind of like, I'm with you Simba. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm with you. And like, also, this was the first time, okay, this was, this was the first time I did look at that dream sequence with Mufasa, and it ends, and I'm like, that's it? I did kind of was, for the first time, I was like, this fucker just shows up and say and says, remember who you are a couple times and leaves. Majestically. <laughs> I'm sorry, what else does he need to say? But this is... The whole point of this is coming all the way back full circle to, like, there were things to address in the live-action version, and what we got makes me want to strangle Jon Favreau, because I'm just like, you did nothing of value you did nothing with this and there were so many ways to improve on this and you did fucking nothing with it you did nothing with this bullshit that could have been awesome it is lit it is shakespeare in africa do something, fucker! Like I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. The spiritual, the spiritual ancestor or predecessor of of the animated movie is the musical. I mean, I've never seen the musical, so. Oh no, the musical. The musical is easily the the adaptation that expands and like all the themes. The themes of. Do, 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 do. That's a, that's a song that Nala sings in the musical, and like the casting, the costumes being inspired by like in you know indigenous uh, you know African tribal costumes that then are adapted to puppetry and animals and stuff. So, it's it's incredible. 
Um, and there's a reason it's the third longest running piece of theater of all time is because it's just that good. It's it's it, it is the spiritual predecessor of the movie. Yeah. Or not predecessor. So you need to see the musical sequel. I'm, I, I wanted to say ancestor and predecessor, but that's not. No, it's the spiritual uh, chi- child. The, the after. I'm yeah, just getting, we're, I'm we're being following. vocabulary stupid. Descendant. Anyway, I know what I said, okay? <laughs> Descendant. Descent. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. So, I mean, Lion King is whatever. It was very difficult to rank. Very difficult to rank. Especially combined with this fucker. Ranking Lion King and Goofy movie was the most surreal experience of my, like, fiction-loving inner child self. Because a Goofy movie is an emotional roller coaster. It really is. So much happens in it. Should that much happen in it, though? It is by far the funniest movie of all of these. And maybe that's me being biased because this is... I, I think, think if I think this is the movie I've not you seen just love this movie the so most much. recent. No, th- I just all of these movies I've seen within like a year or two by now, except this movie and Hercules. It's been years since I've seen those two. Hercules. So, I mean, all of the jokes were fresh. Like none of them I had seen relatively recently at all. So, like. <laughs> The principal, like, <laughs> yelling at the top Wallace of his lungs. The principal yelling at the top of his lungs about how Max is going to go to the electric chair was so funny because I forgot how insane this guy <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and Goofy just takes it so seriously. <laughs> He's just like, you mean to tell me if I don't take my son on a fishing trip that he's going to be murdered by the state? And it's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I, ha- I, I am obliged. I am obliged to bring up that there were many points in this movie where I was very distracted. Because uh, as a child, before I knew I liked girls, Roxanne was the fir- one of the very first cartoon characters I had cr- a crush on. Like, and I did not realize until much later She's in life. Cute. We all did. This is kind of a weird phenomenon because while I was watching the movie, there was this thing that was happening. And then I finally, I'm kind of able to put it into words. It's kind of like... If you took your friend to the beach and you just do your own thing for a little bit and you come back and somehow they've made this enormous sandcastle structure and it's like multiple feet long and wide and it's actually a couple feet tall and you know this wasn't here when they when you got here. He just did this by himself and you're just looking at him like, how and why? Like, but also how? How did you do that? Like, Roxanne is one of these characters for me that is just like, so you mean to tell me that you made this, obviously, like, because 
men animators draw people attractively. Yeah, sure. This attractive character, but also a very, like, extremely good and interesting character. And you used it on a Goofy movie? Why? (laughs) Like, and it's also the same thing with the plot. The plot of a Goofy movie is the exact same way of just, like, I didn't expect you to go all these places. What What made you do this? I'm not mad. I'm impressed. (laughs) Actually, I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, for me, a Goofy movie was hilarious. The music is beyond iconic at this point. It has its own life. Some of the music. All of the music. Yeah, I'm with Trevor on Some of the music. After Today is stupid. Look, I don't get your vendetta against After Today. (laughs) It's just stupid. The lyrics are not good. It's cheesy. It's supposed to be cheesy. cheesy. It's cheesier than Bobby's cheese obsession, okay? It's, it is, it is excessive. Which, this was the first time I ever watched a movie that nobody had said this before that I had heard. Nobody said this to me before. And I watched a movie, a kid's movie, and I was like, oh my god, this is a stand-in for weed. This is totally a stand-in for weed. I never even put that together. (laughs) What? I never put that together, but it makes so much sense. How did you not put that together, Trevor? I never put it together either. What? Outrageous. Because it's cheese. Why would I think weed? <laughs> How did you not put that? I just am all jealous. Because then I was like, I just thought that's why it's when I think about Shore. Bobby, <laughs> When I think about Bobby in this movie, particularly, Bobby. when I see him like just do the thing or like just randomly wave at somebody, I'm not thinking he's high. I'm thinking he's that kid who like there is no home life to speak of. Like, there is no stimulation for this child. And he's just the one who's just like, I'm on my own track. And occasionally that track will intersect with yours. And you're going to and I'm going to say something that makes total sense to me. But it doesn't make sense to you. I don't I don't think of him as high. I think of him as that kid. <laughs> Which, I mean, he could also be that kid because we never see his family at all. Yeah. Um, both. Like, he is so nonchalant about detention. Not because I think he gets in trouble a lot, but because I think it's like... I think it's the kind of person where it's like, in his brain, this just doesn't matter. Yeah. We're talking too much about Bobby. <laughs> I mean, Bobby's an, I inter- Bobby. Bobby's an interesting character coming off like the last like four films. And then there's just a blatant pothead. <laughs> just like in the middle of this I mean, of this like we movie. said, these are, these are explicitly, this is an explicitly different tra- tra- like train of thought for Disney compared to these right. full movies. Which I kind of um, like. Did this one have a theatrical release? I think it did. Okay. I think it that's must have been why, short, even if it did. I think that's the reason I pulled the trigger on it instead of Rescuers. It's because I'm like, this also had a theater? Okay, then yeah. Then we're going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, the lows are rough. Yeah. I did some skipping. The highs, yeah. are, the highs are really high. The lows... I didn't want, like, there are parts of this movie. I'm just like, this is too painful. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm just. Yeah, it gets real intense. Honestly, the whole Bigfoot sequence. Like, here's the thing. There are gems of their relationship in that I've moment. I've forgotten about that. Like, when they're talking about soup and stuff like that, it's great. But part of the thing where it's just like, 
Bigfoot being a plot point, <laughs> I felt like if you're going to make a Goofy movie, like if you're going to, sorry, if you're going to make a, a movie with Goofy and have him be around Bigfoot, that's the plot. Like, I don't know how you wedged this in here, but it's not, I skipped most of that until they were just talking in the car. And the whole possum sequence is like cringe emotion, which is not fun. Which, yeah, like that, that was like my whole point of like the lows are really low like it's not a criticism of the movie it's a sense of like that's what i meant when this is an emotional roller coaster of like things get a little real at times (laughs) like they get kind of visceral and like also like by comparison right away and like in a way you get that kind of half catharsis when they start to have a good time on the road trip until it's brought up again where it's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I rewrote the map and now I got to deal with this. And then they have that moment of truth on the highway. Um, and so it's like, you know, it's almost like, oh, we got here really early and it worked. But I was like, but I don't know if I was emotionally ready to deal with all yeah, of Max's it's anger a, right now. This is a movie that like, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but like both of these characters are just wrong. Like there's no gray area. They're both doing the wrong things and going about this stuff the wrong way. Um, And I could see an argument to where that's a good thing, and I could see an argument to where somebody could say that that's a bad thing. Because you don't really get that sense of like, well, I can sort of see where both of them are coming from, and, you know, I relate to both of them. It's like... I don't quite relate to Max because he goes too far. And I don't quite relate to Goofy, but Goofy, like, literally is not listening to his kid. Oh, but Goofy's so cute. Yeah, Goofy, Goofy, but Goofy banks a lot on pity. Yeah. Which is also hard. Like, that's hard, that's hard to watch, is banking on the character being a little pitiful. The thing with Goofy movies is it's like, it is compared to, like, the kind of dull like I my heartbeat was probably the same throughout all of Lion King and I knew what was coming and I knew how to feel before I felt I genuinely tried to feel something at Mufasa's death for the first time in years and it was no it's just too familiar it's it's I know I'm looking at moving pictures on a screen right now I can't I can't separate all of my 20 odd years of knowing about this. It's a thing we ran into with um when we did the when we talked about the matrix um in that like I will always now know what the matrix is. I can't experience the matrix blind ever again. It's that same type of thing. Whereas here the needle was all over the map on this fucking movie. Like I was cackling, I was feeling real emotions, I was skipping scenes because I genuinely just didn't want to see characters go through specific emotions. Like, Max lying to Roxanne, I was just like, nope, especially given my history with this character, nope, I'm I'm skipping ahead on this bullshit, no, uh, 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 uh. (laughs) uh. And then the talk in the hot tub is just like, no, <laughs> it's a little too real. I'm a piece out. But it's an acknowledgement that, yeah, I genuinely give a shit. It's an acknowledgement that, like, I genuinely care. 
about all of it. Um, is it better than The Lion King? That was always the thing. After all of the stuff I said to myself when I was ranking these, it always came out to that one sentence. I'm <laughs> just like, is the goofy bo- is the goofy movie better than Lion King though? And so we'll, we will circle back to that. <laughs> okay. Pogana sucks and it shouldn't have been made. Okay, so we'll talk about Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> the only other things I'll say about Pocahontas. Um, don't make me root for Mel Gibson. Um, the music, I will stand by that music. The music is great, day. but the whole thing is trash. The rest of it we don't need to talk about, but the music. Like, oh, again, man. this is a whole, this is pre-research, a whole mashup of a bunch of cultures. It all feels disingenuous. Like, the way that they have the Native American chief like speech patterns is not fun and then the fact that she just believes and she can speak english it sucks um they're not so foolish as they to where they don't know how to remove a bullet and not only does it both sides things but it also does the thing of like well the characters you should be siding with should be peaceful and protesting appropriately and not 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 defending themselves anyway okay cool moving on from pocahontas i watched 10 minutes of this movie and i turned it off i mean even I feel like as a kid, I feel like as a kid, this is one of the ones like we all like you said, talked about Lion King, where you're like, cool, I know this plot so well. I feel like this is one where like either we never we all didn't rewatch it enough or just like collectively, we all just like forgot the plot. And forgot the story. We knew it was like, ah, Native Americans and they love each other, blah, and just around the riverbend. And then we all just forgot the rest of it. And then watching it again as an adult, and you're just like, oh my God. You're like, this, this is, sucks. There's a reason why we did not watch this very often. Yeah, this is not fun. Again, though. I listen to that soundtrack so much, though. It's, it's not even like, it's not even like that pretty either. Like it, like it's, it's like, it's like I just don't know. shy. Those leaves are stunning. But like, but they don't do it. They don't do cool things with it like they do some of the other ones. Like they have those moments where like the, during Savages where they have the, the white people reflected in the waterfall. But I'm kind of like, mm, I don't, I don't know. And like the way that the clouds roll in of like both of their sides to the conflict. I'm kind of like, I, I guess you could call that creative. I just don't like it that much. So anyway. TJ wants to move on, so we're going to move on. What's next? Yeah, let's Hunchback? move on. That's fine. There's not much to say there. They put a feather on a mop. Yep. And then they yeah. cut the head off the mop. Yep. And they sung about how many engines they're going to kill. And also, like he says, I've seen hundreds of new worlds. And I'm like, and that makes you a piece of shit. Like, that you still call everyone savages and you've seen hundreds of worlds. That just makes you a piece of shit. I don't care what you're going to learn here. It makes you a piece of shit. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, Hunchback. Hunchback. Guys, I literally sobbed while we were watching. I just sobbed. It's not a kid's movie. This is not. This should. Like, that is not. There's this, this, like, it's so dark and so complex. I didn't understand half of that 
as a child. I mean, child. it's based on a Victor Hugo novel, so and that can be and that can be a, and that can be a kids movie though. To um, me, though, it's way more like a teen teen movie. I don't know. I sobbed. I sobbed. Oh, it hits so hard. Oh, it hits so hard. God help the Atkins. We all know how I feel about that song. I just oh oh. So my thing with Hunchback is I think most people's thing with things with Hunchback. The very obvious thing with Hunchback. About 80% of Hunchback is the best work Disney's ever done. And then there's that 20. <laughs> and then there's the fucking gargoyles. <laughs> I know that entire song is just so unnecessary. But Trev, you don't understand. He's such a nice guy. He's such a nice guy. Entirely, entirely takes the focus away from the real themes of the whole thing. <laughs> and sabotage, and it's and it sabotages him as well. Like it just it takes him to the completely wrong place because it's like, you know, he could he could become he could become a hero rather than a like romantic, like. However you want to describe it, like he could become a hero to a group of people that he actually is a a member of, whether he knows it or not. And because they sideline him with all this stuff, it it just changes everything for for his motivation going into the third act. And it's not fun. Yeah, it's really the downfalls of this movie, the constant obligation and force humor where there just didn't really need to be that kind of humor because I can tell you right now the best bit of humor in this movie is when Esmeralda and Phoebus first meet and they're having that like mm. fight in palpable quotation marks in the church yeah that's funny it's just regular funny you don't need like slapstick and Wilhelm screams and goofy hollers and like people getting kicked in the dick a lot. Like, I mean, you just don't really need it. And so it's like that. It's like the kind of comedy they have the multiple times they force it on in there, like the crackers with Iago and Aladdin. And then also the both sidesing of the gypsies, quote unquote. It's just like, ah. I'm not sure they truly ever do that. I mean, the whole. Are you song, talking about like the the, song. the court of miracles? Yeah, yeah, where they're like threatening. It's this thing of like you just didn't need to do it because it's literally the second they start it, it kind of just stops right after. So you really just didn't even need to do that. <laughs> like I imagine a live action version, which God help us, we, I know we're gonna get, and I know it's I, probably I, you gonna know, get fucked up. I think up. there's a great Phoebus. I think there's a great Phoebus live action, and I'm gonna say it right now. Adam Driver. They'd have to change the look. I don't know if I see Adam Driver as a character being fun, being charming. Oh, no, he can be. He I think can. Adam Driver, the person, uh, can be charming. But it's... it's, it's, I, it's that's, this, it would be really weird casting to me, but I wouldn't... I'd have to see it, because I think he's a super talented actor. So I wouldn't, I think be like, really great immediately drive, like, sign it off, but... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they just did the predictable thing and just got Jamie Lannister. 
That, okay. All right. Because it's just sense. like, isn't that just Jamie Lannister? <laughs> yeah. But with the soul, unlike Jamie Lannister. Yeah. Um, uh, but also, Patrick Stark. Uh, yeah. <laughs> one of the guards is the guy who plays Patrick. Um, but no, and, you know, there's the obvious things to talk about with this movie where it's like, this is genocide. And he is talking flat up genocide and religious justification yeah. for it. And he's one of the scariest. Yeah. That's why, as you grow up, he's one of the scariest villains. It's terrifying. Um, like, terrifying. Altogether. Like, the music is incredible. We don't really have to touch on that because we've talked about it, but we talked about it all through the tournament. And, I'm still, to to the and I'm still petty. I'm still heated that the Bells of Notre Dame got eliminated as early as it did. Hey, you know, we could have had out there be the winner, but fucking Anna. Um, Anna wasn't I mean, wrong, it though. won its category. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Spoilers, um, I guess. But com- <laughs> but but against against Bells of Notre Dame, mind you. No, it was in a different category. Circle of Life? Oh, oh! I thought you were talking about out there. Oh, yeah. No, no, I, oh, you're talking about out there. Um, yeah, definitely one category. Anyway, um, but then there's also like all the micro things where it's like the justifications are like she ran, I pursued. It's like ah, that sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> the other things I had were like there's a lot of horses that they treat like dogs in these movies. Yes, <laughs> which yeah. I find funny. Um. But then the other thing, like, I feel like if there's one thing that you want to add to this while subtracting the gargoyles, I need to see Frollo oppress other people. Because the, the, so here's why. There are so many times when the Parisians are just swayed by who's the loudest in the room. And they can be like shitty people. Like they are to Quasimodo during the, during the Festival of Fools. Um, but like when they start siding, with him and like accepting quasi and stuff like that. It just feels to me like it's just like plot convenient that they all just see suddenly because of like things that are actually happening off camera compared to their vantage point. The Parisians don't see what's actually happening with Frollo up top. So as far as they're concerned, Quasimodo threw him off a fucking thing. And so unless we see Frollo like interacting with the Parisians in an oppressive way, I don't see that connection with them. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, it doesn't take away from the movie. We watch him burn down that house. Yeah, but that's one instance. So I guess you're right in that way. But so I guess the point being, it doesn't take away from the movie, but I think just an extra scene of him being that way to everyone and having a different justification, no matter who it is that he's oppressing. Would it give an you? Gives that payoff for the whole group. Yeah, that's sort better of- later. It's, it's, the, it's the hyena moment in Lion King. Where he has the hyenas and he blames them and then they turn on him. It's one of those, those things where I'm like, one of those moments makes the hyena moment pay off. Well, I think that was what I was kind of getting to with a, a potential live action movie could could be really good. Will it? Probably not because it's fucking Disney. But like in the right hands with the right people involved, a live action movie can just fix all the little fucking nagging things about the animated version where it takes itself a little bit more seriously. Characters that make sense to make jokes can just make organic jokes when necessary. And you can show a little bit more of, like, life on the streets of Paris. So, like, people can... Just a few reaction shots here and there with recurring, like, super minor characters of, like, them reacting to Frollo a little bit more throughout this movie where they're kind of like 
okay, I'm starting to get a funny feeling about this guy. And, like, mm. yeah, to Trevor's credit, like, there needs to be more moments of, like, you know, the Parisians need a reason to be rallied by Phoebus when he rallies them. Um, and then when they go to the Court of Miracles, we should just stay here for a sec. Like, yeah, you're barely there. We should just like, like Quasimodo should look around and feel weirdly at home in a way that he can't quite understand. And they should take him in and they should be the people that do kind of not view him the same way that the normies up top do. But they leave that all up to Esmeralda, which is a, which is, a, you know, a fault. Yeah, and as good as Esmeralda's character can be, it's like, but you could do more with this, is the point. You could have it be that, like, I don't know, it's a little fan fiction-y, but I kind of, I kind of like the idea of, you know, in a live-action version, genuinely kind of doing something with the fact that Quasimodo was the son of... I think it's just Romani people is basically what it is, or at least that's what I've heard. So he does kind of have a connection with these people. And if they kind of, they don't say like, we knew your parents. We don't, they don't say we know exactly where you come from and you're one of us, but it's like, they kind of skirt right around. Like they go right up to that line and they just don't get a chance to really figure this out. And then that's when Frollo comes. Like, a moment like that is something that the live action can do that the animated version just didn't really have time for, I guess, or didn't really see the value in. Because, again, 90-minute runtime, sure, but this is also, like, I noted that this is, like, a little bit longer than typically. But, I don't know. There's just, there's things that could be done better also getting rid of the fucking love triangle because ah ah i yeah oh it just makes things it's it's that it doesn't even throw a spanner in the works it's like it's just kind of dead weight it's just kind of here to muddy quasimodo being our hero because then he goes why i should get the girl because i'm such a nice guy and I'm just like, oh my fucking God, can we not? <laughs> can we not with Quasimodo? Can we not? <laughs> um, But I did like the ending. This is a movie that very personally resonated with me growing up. Um, Always being the weird one. Always being, you know, the one that people kind of like side-eyed. You know, once I went through puberty, like, things got real hard. Um, And it was nice now looking back, this meant more to me than I realized. Uh, similar to the Roxanne thing of like, when I was younger, I didn't really know what was going on. In that, because people lament that like, well, if this is truly a story about how Quasimodo's just as good as anybody else, how, doesn't he get, how come he doesn't get the girl? And I'm like, much like many other people, like one, women aren't prizes. Second, it's like the more important thing happened. He was accepted by society. That was the whole point. (laughs) 
And I like that. I've always liked that ending because it didn't prioritize like love as this like huge thing that if you don't get it sucks to be you. And the only thing that matters is that if you're with somebody, I like that it was this thing of like, no, there are more important things. There are more important things than this. This is nice. It's still in the movie. It's like to the side right back there. But this thing, some things are more important than this. And I appreciated that. Okay, that's all I had. <laughs> I already said, I just watched it and sobbed. It's fine. And Hercules is not nearly as good. <laughs> okay, no, because here's the thing. You said Goofy Liar. Movie is the funniest that one. that is just falsity. You, th- you said Goofy Movie is the funniest I one? I love Hercules. Hercules is the funniest one. Thousand percent. Thousand percent. Hercules, Hercules is, is just a good movie. The puns alone. I think a large I think a lo- I think a large part of this depends on your tolerance for one, James Woods. Two, 90s specific types of humor. And what you feel the plot of this movie should have been. I, you know what? I don't even want to get into what you think the plot of the movie should have been. I think the plot of the movie is what the plot of the movie is in this case. Like I Yeah. It's a, it, it, it. There is nothing that truly detracts from him. Uh, there, there's no, This plot doesn't go off the rails. It's pretty straightforward. Um, I think James Woods being cast as Hades was inspired because they weren't going to do anything like that at all. And then he went into that audition room and went, I'm going to be a used car salesman. And then it fucking works. Um, it's so good. But I just think that it's, you know, just the little things where like they, I think it's what the fates are like we can see in the future. And she whispers, indoor plumbing. It's going to be big. <laughs> those like those things are funny. It's not even like okay, maybe the maybe the air hercs are a little on the nose, but like it's the little things that slip under there where it's like somebody call IXII as nine one one in Roman numerals. I literally I screamed those, those at the top are... of my lungs. I said "fuck off" because <laughs> I was just like, You're a grump. "I love this movie so You're a much." Grump. You're no, no, bitter. no, no, because it was it was it was not that kind of. It was like the oh for fuck's sake, because it's the thing of like you never get that as a kid. That's no as a kid. And so it's only now that I ever realized that that was a joke. So I was like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> well, also, just like I thought being in Thebes was fun. I mean, given I live in Thebes. In Thebes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like, I thought that I thought the stuff in Thebes was fun. And I was like, I did, this is not what I think of when I think of this movie. But I think Thebes is great. I think the choice to do. I think it's I think it's like an interesting interesting thought process to go like okay this story is about gods so let's do gospel music as the as the base and i'm like this is great i love love this well it's also Um, the um oh no my theater 101 is slipping um the name of the people that like comment on chorus thank you it's that it's a it's also a greek chorus which just kind of i'm your let, Use me as a resource here, bud. Let, I literally but, wrote the, wrote my I wrote I wrote the college entry test for theater. But I don't. I wanted to come up with it myself. Yeah. Okay. Cool. You just sit in those emotions for a while. Cat and I are going to talk about how great uh-huh. Hercules. It's so. I I love this movie. I love this movie. It's one of my. I like. I forgot. Like I could just watch this movie. I had a blast watching at any time of the. Like it's not like one that I felt like. Oh, I gotta watch this movie. I was like, I watch Hercules. More often than I thought I did in my life. Oh, it's just so good. The music's so good. It's so entertaining. Like, dumb stuff. Like, the colors are really pleasant to look at. Like, I know that sounds... 
I don't know. I just think they did a really nice job. I think it's interesting that it's not just Meg in distress that like is his quote unquote oh, weakness. I love that he like signs it away. I love Meg. And then he still has to so go and much. be a hero and he has to learn that lesson and then everybody has to come and support him. Um, I, I mean, given it is nothing like the source material. Um, nope. <laughs> if you know anything about Greek mythology, this is nothing like the source material. It's nothing, but he, that's okay. The reason he does the labors is because he accidentally kills Meg um, in a, in a, uh, in a hypnotic stupor. Um, and so he has to atone for it by doing the labors of Hercules. And he's not, he's already a demigod and he knows it. It's completely different. What well, I like this version. But I love it. I'd loved, yep. Every time I love it. Okay, even TJ, more. you have, you have two minutes to tell us what the plot should have no, been. No, it's just a very basic. I, I just, you touched on it. I just think the source material is just more interesting. Like, you can, eat, like, it's, they've already shown that they can Disney-fy basically anything at this point. They Disney-fied right. Hunchback the year before. So it's like, to say that you can't do Hercules labor, Her- Heracles labors, like, it's just kind of weird to me. Because I'm like, the now that, now that I know at least a little bit about the actual story of Heracles, seeing Hera in this movie is the most absurd thing. That's fair. Yeah, it's so That's funny, also but fair. I love every second of it. And she's so nice in it. I And they're so in love with it. Uh, this is TJ, just you're as wrong. Much, this is you're just wrong. This is just as much a '90s movie as Goofy movie, but Goofy movie had an excuse. Goofy movie was set in the present. <laughs> of course, it was gonna be a Goofy movie. Not Goofy movie. Of course, it was gonna be a '90s movie. It's set in the '90s. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. It can't be a 400 BC movie for you, TJ. No, it's um. not that. Because like, <laughs> what, what I'm literally gonna talk about next is that like I'm gonna touch on the fact that. There's a little bit of 90s in this Mulan movie. But, like, that's different. It's not like Mulan is doing 90s things in the setting of Mulan. There's just some 90s humor in it. So you're probably, so, I mean, I don't want to even call this your problem with Hercules. But, like, what you're saying is that, like, the use of visual gags and parodies of the culture of the time dates the movie. I mean, I because th- you take Greece and then you make it like today, but still Greece. I mean, okay, I could, I should just say my actual problem with Hercules. It doesn't really know what it wants to fucking do. It doesn't really know what it wants to be because Hercules wants to be a hero, but then they very quickly get on the track of like, I'm an action figure. That means I'm a hero, and it's just like, is this the same character as before? Because it's like, and then, like, Zeus has to spell it out for him. He's like, being a hero is not the same thing as being famous. And I'm like, yeah, isn't that kind of common sense? Like, I mean, just because you do things doesn't really make you a hero. To be fair, the whole, like, you have to prove yourself as hero thing is so vague, though. (laughs) So it's like, that's just another thing. It's just like, so wait, he has to prove himself as a hero. My first question is, how do you do that? And Zeus is just like, figure it out, son. And I'm just like, so it kind of makes it so that we don't know where we're going, though. That's what, that's that's specific, but, but that is specifically why I point to, like, there was a thing that had him doing specifically 12 things. That's why I'm like, why didn't you just use this? 
it could have just been Hera was bitter and says, all right, you can become a god if you do these 12 things. And the movie is about him doing 12 things. Like, it's just kind of... And you still could have had him get a big head and everything along the way. And so I don't know like, why yeah, he I needs to get a big head. That's what makes it feel so 90s about it. It's not really all the that's a trope. surface yeah. things. It's the thing of, like, Herc isn't Max. Like, Herc is Herc. Herc is shown to be a good kid with... I mean, he's Clark Kent. Like, fuck it. Like, he's just Superman, bruh. <laughs> he's just Superman in this fucking movie. So it's the thing of, yeah, why did why would he get a big... And then they drop it immediately. Because then the stuff with Meg, right after that reinforces, well, no, he's super kind and super humble and super empathetic. And I'm like, I feel like we took a detour to do all these 90s jokes about, like, Michael Jordan and sponsorships and stuff, and now we're back to where we were, like, 30 minutes ago with the characterization of Herc and Met. Because, yeah, the story about this, how this movie got made, apparently, is that Musker and Clemens didn't even want to fucking do Hercules. They wanted to do Treasure Planet. But then Katzenberg was like, okay, you can do Treasure Planet after you do Hercules. And Hercules has to be a success. And so they went, okay, here's some Michael Jordan, here's some Knight. And so that's what it kind of feels like. It feels like they kind of... Gave us what we wanted specifically in the 90s to just give us what we wanted then. Whereas I look back at Beauty and the Beast, Beauty and the Beast was just kind of good because it was good. And you didn't really need trope. Because I'm kind of think of I'm trying to think of a trope in Beauty and the Beast. It it's it, it is the, the name of the movie. Um <laughs> The name of the movie is just the story. The story itself is an archetype. I guess, but it's like every time I start to come up on a trope, I remember how the movie doesn't quite do that. Because the first one I thought of was like, oh, it's a romantic comedy where the woman basically has to fix the guy. But no, the guy does a lot of work. He does put in effort and clearly is shown to give a shit about her and like changes himself. And, like, I also don't like that joke that people have done, that really low-hanging fruit of just, like, well, she just has to change. He d- She does all the work for him. And I'm like, in the live-action version, yeah. In the animated version, no. <laughs> but I don't know. Hercules is just, like, there are some funny points. But, and look, I'll be, I'll be up front. I don't. I, I think it's lazy to make Hades the villain. It's so lazy. Because there's no reason to make Hades the villain other than, I mean, he's kind of similar to the devil. Is he the villain, though? He is the, he's trying to take over the cosmos. Like, he's definitely <laughs> understandable, though. He's trying to take like, over the cosmos. <laughs> yeah, but it's, again, I don't know. There are definitely some redeeming- I mean, that's some, that's some, that's some deep dive mythology shit. Like, yeah. okay, you can you can call it lazy because you know, like the dynamic. Yeah, I know Zeus is a piece of shit, and Hades is actually one right. of the better gods. But that's not <laughs> you know, but that's not that's not the general overall understanding of it. I mean, and given yeah, because it's we live in a Christian world. Um, 
yeah, but anyway, that's what I was. I, you know, I was just that, saying we can it, move past. It. Yeah, I was just saying that was it was lazy. It's just kind of like, oh, the god of the underworld has to be evil because the devil. Like, <laughs> if with that logic, anyone could have been evil. Dionysus could have been the fucking villain of this. I mean, here's the thing: movie. there are also plenty of there's plenty of things that aren't this that make Zeus and them the villains. Like, there's there's plenty of other material they now, especially nowadays, <laughs> like that will do that for you. So I'm kind of like, sure, but like you can get that elsewhere. There's not there's no shortage of Greek god and Hercules material out there. So. Yeah. Uh, Moolin. I think, honestly, yeah, just bottom line, uh, Hercules just wasn't my cup of tea. It wasn't really what I wanted. Um, And then Mulan, somehow, out of nowhere, like Randy Orton, um, just kind of does everything well, even with having a super 90s sense of humor. In spite of? What do you mean? Don't you mean because of? No, because I still, ad- that. I still admit, even all these, like, it's kind of weird that Eddie Murphy is in this movie. I'm just never going to get around that fact. <laughs> He's perfect in this movie. It's He's just perfect like- in it. It's, but it's I have like, like very vivid memories of watching this, like for the first time. So like this, I'm very nostalgic about this movie. I mean, I do too. Actually, this is one of the first uh, memories I have going to a movie theater. Um, and I remember specifically, like I think the trailer had that like synth moment, that badass fucking moment where she goes to get the armor and she lights the candle and she's like, I found it so weird that it became '80s synth though. Uh, it was weird. <laughs> but, like, in the best way. <laughs> it's weird, right? It's weird, but, like, damn it, the driving... That's one of my only, like, three notes. The driving it's beat so is the thing that, like... Because, yeah, the, you could do without the synth. I don't know how you really do it in a more fitting genre, but it's the driving beat with the commitment to doing this super brave thing that... I think is why they did it and why it works for me is just like, cause I do, I don't drop it. I don't drop the whole like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like I do acknowledge that it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> but I mean, in the same vein, it's weird that Mushu's a black guy. I mean, it's just kind of weird. Um, but I think the film just, it's too good to be dragged down by stuff like that. It's so right? good. Correct. Also, I'm really upset that they jumped the gun on the uh, Mulan remake before Shang-Chi came out. Because the fact that Simu Liu is not Shang in a remake that is actually honoring this version is upsetting. He even so That good. man is a joy and would play him amazingly. Fun fact... Jackie Chan does the singing voice of Shang in a different language. I didn't know that. I like that. Fucking Donnie Osmond. Fucking Donnie Osmond. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. Because I can see him in the studio, like, putting his pecs out. <laughs> I care too much about this subject. So I, I won't touch it. But I mean, like, do you have any other, like, major things about Mulan? I think I love the sincerity of when it chooses to, like 
I mean, this is just another really complex dad relationship that they actually get pretty pretty well. They do it pretty well. In a decade with a, a few of them. There were a few, like, really good dads this renaissance. Awful moms. Well, I mean, they're, you're not allowed to... Disney princesses and, and characters aren't allowed to have moms. Yeah. Um, and when they do, one of them is Hera. <laughs> they go out of their way to not give mother relationships. Not that some of them don't have them. Mulan has a mom. But they just given don't. This, yeah, given the culture and the society, it was like... Um, honor lies with the that's the whole I mean that's the whole thing honor quote unquote lies with the man and yada 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 and so of course it's her father's honor that she's wanting to protect and things like that so I think Shang is a really underrated character for all the like I loved Shang like I still to this day oh for all the like for all the people that say this both sincerely and as kind of a meme of the whole like the bisexuality kind of messages in the movie and stuff like that. I think that kind of gets for the people that genuinely like find solace and like they see that and it like helped them a lot. This is not to them. It's to like the kind of meme that this has become. It kind of takes away from Shang's character sometimes. And like Shang is a really interesting part of this movie. Like, and his entire gaze on Mulan doesn't have to revolve around attraction. Right. Yeah. And like, one of the strongest points of this movie is just so understated. Like, he finds out his dad was massacred with an entire fleet and then takes a moment. Like, it's not one of those machismo things of, like, fuck it, it bury, bury the boy, bury, bury the boy. Like, it's not one of those. He takes a moment away from his troops to just mourn. And then he moves on because not because I don't get the sense that it's a mach- machismo thing. I get the sense it's like the longer we stay here, the bigger chances this is going to happen to somebody else. Yeah. So we literally have no choice but to go. And that's rough. And I like this because I, I like sometimes when main characters can have select moments to feel like kind of supporting characters and actual supporting characters main story like Mulan is not a huge part of this sequence she's just on the side and it really does a good job in flexing and fleshing out Shang which they didn't really have to do they they really didn't have to do this like it's not like Shang is a traditional love interest because there's not a lot of flirting or awkward moments that they usually have a lot to do with He's just another character at this point. And then, here we go. A lot of depth and a lot of realness. And holy shit, this movie's really good. <laughs> but honestly, one could make the case that Mulan could really just take up its own episode. And Tarzan, we've literally talked about before. So, Kat, do you have anything on Tarzan that you wanted I to just get love in? It. I really do love it. I there are definitely some issues with it. Rewatching it, like I don't really want to get into all of them. Oh, just so much, so much. She hates it. No, I do. I love it. I think. Well, also, again, we've said this multiple times. Phil Collins went so hard for us. Like we didn't need that. We didn't ask for it, and we, yet we got it. And like to me, what's so quintessential about Disney is the music. Um, 
it's like such a big a a big thing for it um so i i mean it's it's still such a good movie and like the like childish innocence is so like lovely and yeah i do you know we said the whole mom thing i really wish that there would be at least one like mom daughter relationship in any of these there should be there should be a mom movie and she needs a dump truck ass I knew you were going there. All right, let's rank these motherfuckers. Let's so, do the ranking. Let's do the ranking. This is my cars to 10 Pocahontas. Just get it out of here. Just Yeah, easy. Dead yeah, on arrival. The same, actually. Done. Nine for me, Little Mermaid. I just... Mine as well. It's a stacked field, and I didn't really care that much for it. So... So is that you you too, Kat? Yeah, that's where I'd put it as well. So I have this weird thing. Oh, you know what? You know, I, I guess it doesn't apply to the next one. Yeah, we can move on. I can I can I can bump. I can actually make a decision on this. I was gonna have a tie, and however you want to do it, if you want to do it like race rules where it's like if three people tie, you're you're the place behind, or if three oh, I get tie, you you're the place forward. Um I was gonna tie a bunch, but you know what? Actually I can separate them. Okay. I can I can make them work. Uh my eight is Hercules, sorry. Yeah, it's fine. It, it, it is a stacked field. Like, even if... Yeah. Even so, like, Hercules was this maybe going to move one or two up, maybe one up. <laughs> the playoffs? Playoffs? My eight was um, the Goofy movie. <sighs> of course it uh, is. Aladdin is my eight. Ooh. That's valid. Spicy. It is spicy. Uh, My seven... Was the Lion King? It's surprising for you. I know it is. <laughs> it was actually seven for me as well. Mm. My seven was Goofy. Mm. Because my six was a Goofy movie. There you go. The Goofy movie and Lion King were like, ugh. <laughs> I agonized. I was like, can I really say a goofy movie is better than the Lion King? At that point, it's at that point, it's like, do I want Domino's or McDonald's? It's like, it's they're, like they're super similar. They're but similar, me, but they're Aladdin completely different. Ranks higher. Also, I never addressed this when you brought it up. Um, I initially kind of wrote off the Bigfoot scene, and then I realized how long it was going, and it got funnier and funnier that he was still here. <laughs> the fact that the Bee Gees exist in Goofy's world is funny. Um, but that just also contributes to the fact that like that song's actually fantastic, and it's been written off in so many of these kinds of things that our generation is like, eh, staying alive, and it's like, no, staying alive is like a fucking great song. It's a bop. Memes can sometimes ruin songs that really don't need to be ruined. Like they're they're good songs. <laughs> like the only good thing about Saturday Night Fever is the soundtrack. So like, <laughs> uh, numero six. Six. Mine was Goofy. Aladdin. Ooh. Beauty and the Beast. Oh. <gasps> Again, uh. it's based on, like, would I choose this? Fair? Would I choose this to watch? No. Uh, my five is Aladdin. Five is Lion King. Mm-hmm. Hunchback. Because hmm. I can't make it through the middle. Yeah, it's it's real dark. Beginning? Mwah. Ending? Uh. Middle? Eh. For me, like... It's just the ending is the most egregious of like, can we get the fucking gargoyles out of here? <laughs> exactly. Like, 
this is not the time. <laughs> it started higher for music alone because we had had so many music conversations about this in the past on this podcast. And then slowly, as I was considering the other ones, I was like, Oh, also, very subtle. Mo- Can we just talk about the way this opens? Not the opening song, but like as a whole, but literally, it like has the like Walt Disney presents the Notre Dame with the clouds, and it's just like pitch black, and it's just boom, and it's just there, and it's just like oh, oh god, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that. Anytime when I even hear the chanting, like the like it just ooh, it gets me. I mean, that's a that's another characteristic we didn't have time to talk about, which is like the openers of most of these movies. Yeah. The opening really of sense. Lion King, obviously. The opening of Tarzan. The opening of Mulan with the calligraphy. Oh, like they gosh, have very beautiful. similar vibes when they open. That's when I started to realize, like, going through these movies that all came out within year like a year of each other. They all, like, they, the typical thing is, like, they either start, they start with the overture, they start, like, on the sky, in the sky, and then they come down, or it's, like, the title, and then some, like, prologue, like, narration, or in this case of Tarzan, like, the song, like, or in, yeah, and also in Hunchback. But, like, it's very, like, I was, like, this is weirdly on, like, they, People say on brand. This is on brand. All of these movies kind of do the same thing. Um, like we could technically re-rank these based on their openers alone, and I think it'd be very different because, oh, yeah. like, Hercules does not have that strong of an opening. No, no, nor but does Lion King does. But Lion King absolutely does. Hunchback absolutely Hunchback does. does. Tarzan absolutely does. Um, Aladdin has its own kind of thing going on, um, but yeah. and then Goofy movie has the worst opener. Um, no, come on. It's the nightmare the about his dad? No, come Fucking on. Fucking weird. All right, cool. Number four. <laughs> you will take my bias. <laughs> um, my, my number four is Tarzan. So it's mine. Uh, Lion King. Solid. Mm. Too familiar. Wouldn't choose yeah. it over the other three. Yeah, that's how I... Yeah. yeah. My number three is Hunchback, 80% Disney's best movie, but god damn it, that 20%. For me, it's Mulan. Same. My number two is Beauty and the Beast. Me too! Hercules. Wow, oh my god, yeah. Like, we're it jumped up, different. I really enjoyed myself. It jumped I love, up, I really enjoyed I myself. Loved it. it may not stay there forever. It probably won't stay there forever, but it jumped up, for sure, for me. That's why Hercules is my number one. And my number one should not surprise anybody. Tarzan. I didn't even and... watch it. It's just there. Yeah, but you you have an emotional connection to that that like supersedes yes. everything else. Correct. That's called a bias. <laughs> yeah, we all have them, okay? Yeah, I just said! I just said I was biased in a goofy movie. My number one is Mulan, because objectively, I just... It did so many things well and not that many things terribly bad. Sean Yu is overhated as a villain. I like Sean Yu as a villain. I didn't know people hated him as a villain. I yeah, I didn't they, they, hate, they say he's like super boring and like there's nothing to him. Menacing is can be worthwhile. And I'm like, yeah. what, because he's not flamboyant and doesn't have a song? If he had a song, it'd be worse. God. Uh, get over yourself, David. Ew, David. Get over yourself, David. <laughs> uh, so, that's it. 
that wraps it up. Yeah. Who, buddy? Have fun with the editing, TJ. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> because this episode was supposed to come out next week. <laughs> and now I don't think I'm going to do that. Um, I will still kind of put in the old college try, but I think something else might come out next week. So um, that means for you all listening, this there's a very good chance this comes out like smack dab in the middle of December instead of kicking off December. So you'll see. You're listening to it now. Um, as always, uh, we love any excuse to have our good friend, the lovely Kat Patterson on here, whom we adore so much. And who works very hard, and we're very proud of her for all the things she does. Um, Thanks. And I thank you for risking your voice to do this podcast. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, and I guess there's nothing else. It feels very anticlimactic, but like, I guess that's it. If we ever do this again, what do you think, princesses? I think uh, experimental phase. Lilo, Stitch, Treasure Planet, Atlantis. Uh... Atlantis is my jam. That does involve Chicken Little, though. It's fine. That's uh, uh, we're better when we have hotter takes. The one thing I didn't get to say in this, which I'll leave everybody with, like a half baked theory. My theory is that the way that they assemble casts of characters in these movies, where it's like the main character and then like two uh, animal sidekicks and then like all these other humans around them. They're they're doing that with other franchises. Ba- Grogu, Baby Yoda, it's just an animal sidekick. So you agree with me? So you agree with me then that Baby Grogu is a fucking gimmick, and I goddamn hate it. <laughs> well, it's, it, I, I like I had this light bulb because what's happening is that people are now going ape over Hawkeye's pizza dog, which we knew was going to be there because it's in the comics. But it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, but they have to do it, and it's one of those things where it's like. This is what happens when Disney owns everything is because is is that you can literally just transfer the Disney princess cast of characters arc catalog to any Marvel TV show. Are you saying and as if it's a problem? Yes. It's not a problem. <laughs> but I just but it's one of those things where it's like my brain cracked the code last night. I was like, huh. But. I think that's everything. I really tried to see if I wouldn't put Mulan at the top because Mulan was at the at my top for so long before this idea of this episode was ever a thing. So then after I saw Beauty and the Beast, I was like, ooh, could there be a new number one? <laughs> Look at these squiggly letters. <laughs> is it an E or is it a three? That's up to ye. Okay. Join okay. us next week for whatever TJ puts out because he lost him. <laughs> yeah, it's probably. I thought be it was Christmas. supposed to be Christmas. It's yeah, I was going to say it's probably Christmas. So we'll see you for that. That'll actually be a um, very fun episode. And also, uh, yes, let us know what you thought of these takes on the Disney Renaissance films. Uh, what your ranking possibly would be. Let us know on Twitter and or Instagram at Red Team Pod. Check out our website, redteampod.com. And, uh, Catherine, would you like to plug anything? Nope. Thank you. I love you all. We love you, too. And Trevor, any last words? Mitochondria. 
<laughs> My last word. Bye. It's so funny because you froze. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then you just jump out and say mitochondria. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it was perfect. For, for no reason, <laughs> for no reason, and this is how we're going to be able to tell who made it made it to the very end of the episode, we should just call this episode My- The Mitochondria, <laughs> The Powerhouse of the Cell, The Disney Renaissance Ranked. <laughs> yes, okay, I am very for that. Um, but I gotta go. Okay. Yep. Um, we're recording this on Thanksgiving for, so I guess happy Thanksgiving. Fine, fuck it. What, uh, whatever. Um... <laughs> And uh, until next time, I've been TJ Patrick. I'm Trevor Catalano. And I'm Kat Patterson. And fuck Pocahontas! <laughs> the movie. The movie. The movie. The movie. The movie. Yeah, the circumstances of the sexual life of the actual living person are very much something we shouldn't joke about. Good night. Yeah, no. Good night. <laughs>